when he gave me life. I was dead in my sins, hopeless, any dream of life crushed. In the grip of darkness, without any true source of light, chose me when I had nothing to offer him, but that's who he is. His love flowed through my soul. He said, awake, awake. compose myself as I'm worshiping alongside you because I still have to preach this morning. Uh, but this is everything, right? The beginning of Holy Week. It was 18 years ago on Palm Sunday uh, that God met me in a service much like this one uh, where my dad was up at the front uh, speaking. And I just love Jesus. In a moment where I couldn't have been further from God, God spoke. And so every year on Palm Sunday, I already got it. I get a message from my mom uh, wishing me a happy birthday. And uh, so thank you, mom. I know you watch all of these, so I thank you so much. Um, but Palm Sunday, it's just, it holds so much meaning for me. I um, just wake up each and every Palm Sunday, which is such a heart of thanks. The opportunity to come and worship God, I think, on this Sunday in particular for me, uh, every single year carries such significance. And I just want to thank each and every one of you uh, for being here today. Francesca, thank you for encouraging us with that. I'm so proud of you for sharing um, just what God's done in your life, right? And, and, and it can take five years. It can take longer, right? But there is a freedom when we release that and, and say, God, it is now completely in your hands. Let's begin this morning with prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. We'll be reading this morning from Luke chapter 19, verses 35 to 38. If you have that in, uh, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn ahead to that, you can. But let's open this morning with prayer. God, I surrender this service once again to you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for each and every member of our worship team, for every uh, congregant who is here this morning, whether in person or online. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. God, have your way this morning. I pray that you would speak, Lord Jesus, not just through your word this morning, but also through me. God, I pray that uh, as we go out this morning, Lord Jesus, that all praise would be unto you. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes uh, to a new understanding of who you are. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would call us deeper into our relationship with you. May we leave this morning better representatives of who you are than when we came in. Refresh those this morning, God, who need to be refreshed. God, I pray that you meet with those, Lord God, who are uh, living in, in, in periods of unforgiveness. Lord God, allow and open the door for forgiveness to take place. And Lord Jesus, restore the joy of our salvation this morning. 
God, that we would remember that this is no small story that you wrote nearly 2,000 years ago. But this is the story that changed the world. And so, God, we know that you are here today. I sense you, Holy Spirit, and we just ask that you would have your way. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome to Life Center Canada. Man, I'm telling if this is your first week with us, you missed a series and a half. Go back and listen to it on Spotify, wherever you can find it. It was amazing. How many of you enjoyed what God did last week? Wasn't that incredible? Man, it was so, so, so incredible. But if you, this is your first Sunday, you also picked a good one. This is an incredible Sunday to be with us as we begin Holy Week. As we begin Holy Week, in 1940, a very famous atheist surrendered his life to Christ, and he asked this question, have we settled for being a chisel when we're created to thrive as a child of God? This atheist's name was C.S. Lewis. You may know him as the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Aslan, right? Aslan, big lion guy, amazing. But C.S. Lewis was an incredible historian. And uh, this is what he wrote. He wrote, A merciful man who desires to do God's will serves his neighbors. A cruel man who persecutes his neighbor, a cruel man persecutes his neighbor, but he too is used by God without consent or knowledge to serve his neighbor. The difference is that the first man serves God as a son and the second as a tool. The first as his child and the second as his chisel. I love it when we're able to go in behind the scenes and get a look at something that we aren't usually able to witness. I love being able to watch what everyday people do before extraordinary moments take place. Here C.S. Lewis sees that God is at work in every life. Whether you know him or not, and I love that. I love the emphasis of God at work because just as I opened this morning with my own uh, story of salvation, I had no idea that God even cared. But when he showed up, man, he started to reveal himself, not just in uh, my own life, but in the lives of those that he had surrounded me with. And if you're here today and you know someone that doesn't know God, I want to encourage you that you have been chosen first. That you have been chosen first. That each and every person who doesn't know Jesus, in their moment when they see him and acknowledge him as Christ the Lord, your life will be illuminated. As someone who spoke of Christ even when they didn't know. And I love that just view behind the scenes. And Paul Sun Palm Sunday is such a beautiful understanding of what it was that Jesus was doing leading up to the most extraordinary moment in all of human history. In Luke 19, 28, it reads this. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As we read through the story of Palm Sunday, you'll see that even going up to Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey, Jesus was fulfilling one of over 300 different prophecies that are present in the Old Testament about the Messiah. We see that cloaks are thrown on the road, a symbol of people's submission to Jesus as king. Palm branches begin to be waved and, and placed on the road as well, which uh, for the Jewish culture was a symbol of victory, of nationalism. And lastly, we hear the shouts of Hosanna, which Amber shared with us today means, Oh, save us. 
They were identifying Jesus as the Messiah. This is he who was prophesied about. He has come to set us free. Luke chapter 19, 35 to 38. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the, coat, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Palm Sunday kicks off Holy Week, our opportunity to celebrate salvation, freedom, and a future of following Jesus. It hinges exclusively on Him fulfilling all the things that transpired this week 2,000 years ago. This week, the outer world stood in amazement of the inner life of Jesus. There's two essential things that we need to embrace about the life of Jesus this morning. One from the book of Isaiah and the other from the book of Philippians. Isaiah 53, 2 said this. This was one of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. Wow. Imagine growing up as Jesus and reading this and the Holy Spirit speaks into your, into, into your, into your heart and says, that's you. And you say, wait a second. Wait a second. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. One of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled was that he wasn't a handsome man. Wow, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Cool, cool. You wrote that how long before you knit me in Mary's womb? Wow, awesome, great. Yes, I, like, luckily they didn't have like mirrors and like, but would have just been confirmation of, of what he had been feeling. And this is one of the things that, that Isaiah says, listen, there is nothing that when we look at him that we would see majesty. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says this, Have the mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. These two things are incredible, aren't they? When it comes to the life of Jesus, that to simply see him walking into your town, to see him walking into your village, there wouldn't have been anything by his appearance that would have signified him as the child of the living God. Not only that, but he didn't take the fact that he was God. It says here in Philippians 2 is that he didn't see that to count it as anything other than something to be emptied of. And so he lived as one of us. So what specifically did Jesus do then if it wasn't just about who he was that we too should follow in the example? Well, Luke continues to challenge us. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it says that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. In Luke, there's a chronological growth. Some of the stories of Jesus' earliest childhood we get from the author uh, of Luke. And Luke makes it very clear that he's not documenting Jesus' growth so that we see him going from a young boy to a young man to a 30-year-old individual finally released uh, into ministry. What Luke is really chronicalizing is his growth in wisdom is his growth in favor with the Father. 
If you were with us during the last series, you would have uh, been with us as we said that David, him and himself, that he was ruddy and handsome. Saul was, was noted to be tall. Esther actually was chosen because of her physical beauty. But Jesus on the outside had nothing that would, that would be desirable. But Jesus on the inside had everything that we should desire most from humanity. Tim Ross puts it like this. Jesus picked 12 disciples. But sinners and tax collectors, they pick Jesus. Jesus picked 12 disciples, but sinners and tax collectors, they pick Jesus. To grow in wisdom is to look back, to look in the now and to look ahead and to eliminate not just our understanding, but to ask God, God, what do you see? In the light of who you are, what is the wise thing for me to do? What would it mean for us to continually grow in godly wisdom and favor? Jesus grows in both, and we see that there becomes almost an aroma, a fragrance that follows him as he makes his way from city to city until even this point here in our story as he walks into Jerusalem. The twelve understand this, and it becomes apparent that when he and his parents go to the Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Passover, his parents, as he's just a young man, they come and they go, and, and they're participating in, in the celebratory elements of Passover, but Jesus lingers. He's not in it just for the celebration, but he's in it for what it is that the Father has led him to. Why Jesus stays and where he stays gives us a huge insight into who this young man was to become. In Luke 2, verses 46 to 47, it says, After three days of searching for him, they finally found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In the next verse, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mom said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Here we see the emphasis of Jesus. That yes, he has been given to these earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And as we dig into the story of Jesus, we see that there is clear reason for this. Joseph was a carpenter. He was not rich. And, and, and that is intentional in the story of Jesus for us to understand that even though God could have placed him in Roman royalty instead, he was made to be the lowest so that all would have access to Christ. We see in the story of Mary more than I can unpack this morning, but it is intentional that he is born to these two individuals. But first and foremost, Jesus, as he grows, even at the young age, as we meet him here in the story of 12 or 13, he understands that his first responsibility is to his true father who resides in heaven. We want to speak this next, this next sentence with great compassion and understand that in church there are times that we experience pain, wounding from others, and there are times in church that even I have been wounded myself and we would never try to diminish or cover up what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal. We spoke about embracing our grief and embracing our struggle last week, but we also want to challenge you to give clarity to this. 
Stop allowing us ourselves to be influenced by those who claim a love of the Father, but disdain or disregard the Father's house. We need to stop allowing ourselves to be influenced by those who claim a love of the Father, but disdain or disregard the Father's house. This is not the way of Jesus. Before Palm Sunday, Jesus displays a love of presence, place, and purpose. Of presence, place, and purpose. As we fast forward a couple of years to Jesus' baptism as he's 30 years old and the Father finally releases him into his ministry, we see not only was Jesus concerned about the Father's way, but he also enjoyed and, and, and relished in the opportunity to abide and live in and from the Father's love. Matthew chapter 3, 16 to 17 says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. For Jesus, the call to be was greater than the pull to do. You see this multiple times in the story of Jesus as he walks into different uh, towns and different opportunities that the Father has revealed for him. And miracles take place. The lame are made to walk. The blind are made to see. And yet at the end of this, it was never about the crowd. It was never about how many people were shouting his name. All these miracles were done for one reason and one reason only. To reveal the true nature of the Father. And when the miracles were done and what it was that Jesus had been sent to do, he then released those crowds to to depart. He would get into a boat and cross the river. Why? Because he valued that intimate moment with God. To say, God, I've done what it is that you've called me to do. Now let me rest in you. Jesus, from 12 years old to 30, continues to grow in wisdom and God's favor. He has a deep and profound love for God. This is what we need to see in the person of Jesus. To behold him in front of us, he wouldn't have looked special. But being surrounded and in his presence, we would have understood as we read in Scripture and as we in our own lives can glean from our own relationship with God that there is a depth of knowledge with Jesus when it pertains to the Father. He has a deep and profound love for the Father, His house, His people, and all the people that God has created. Jesus abides in affection, never seeking to earn what can only be received. Out of the outflow of this place, Jesus begins to do. He teaches, He saves, He heals, He frees, and He frustrates those who are content with forms, but not willing to enter into a moment of transformation. From the Father's love, Jesus prays and fasts. He exercises spiritual disciplines. Weekly, he's found to be in the synagogue where he's reading and memorizing Torah and Scripture. He serves others, 12 men, and at different times in in his ministry journey, crowds of over 70 people who also follow him. And anyone can do this for a day, But to do it daily, that is the example that Jesus set before us. Following his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, in a garden called Gethsemane, he gives us one more profound insight into how we grew in wisdom and favor. Matthew 26, 41 reads, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. In the garden, flesh sleeps and Jesus prays. In the garden, flesh wounds and Jesus heals. In the garden, flesh betrays and Jesus befriends. This is our Savior. Since he was a boy, Jesus and the city of Jerusalem were inseparable. And only now on Palm Sunday, what brings him to Jerusalem is profoundly different. He will no longer linger in Jerusalem. Instead, he is coming to lay down his life for us. Sometimes in life, it's wise to keep our options open. But in this instance, Jesus knew the difference. And he knew that this time, coming to this great city, it was going to be different. In Luke 9, 51, it says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Thank you, God. In the Old Testament, there are stories of moments like this where different individuals are are challenged that this is that great defining moment of theirs where you must burn the plows and step boldly into what it is that God has for you. In the New Testament, Jesus himself, after setting his face to be our sacrificial lamb, says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Church, we have to ask the question, have we settled for being a chisel when we're created to thrive as a child of God? I love the story of Palm Sunday. That Jesus knows what nobody else does as he walks into the city of Jerusalem. He's told the disciples many times that the Son of Man came to to serve and that he wouldn't always be with them and they didn't fully understand. And this week, he continues to challenge them to open their eyes and open their hearts to what it is that's taking place. As he comes in on a donkey, there's a multitude of different uh, prophecies that are about to be crammed into this one week of fulfillment. And people, they identify and they recognize that what Jesus has been doing, it is so clear that he is the Messiah. He is the prophesied one. And they lay down their cloaks and and they lay down their palm trees and they, they do this in reference to a knowledge that he is the king. They cry out, Hosanna. Please save us. But so many times, just like us, their intention for the how was much different than what God had planned. See, the Israelites and the Jewish people at this time would have been crying out for a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government, who would set them back up in the place of of riches and power that they had all throughout the Old Testament. As they were following God, God set them into, into high places. And yet this time the story was going to be different. Where they were looking for a military leader, Jesus came to surrender. 
where they were looking for someone who would rise up and overthrow. Jesus came to be the final sacrifice. And this is our challenge today. To not get caught up in looking at Jesus for what it is that we want to see, but instead to focus on his heart, to focus on his nature, to focus on who he is and through him and through our relationship that is open to God, who that also makes us. To not just focus on what it is that Jesus can do for us, but to recognize that his life was surrendered to the Father so that now, over 2,000 years later, we can have the same opportunity.